Y Group invites all AEC industry leaders to the 2024 AEC Small Business and Entrepreneurship Forum, the premier event for small firms in the AEC sector. Experience innovative strategies and insights on May 21st, crafted by Zweig Group's industry experts. Engage in keynotes and interactive sessions focused on recruitment, retention, and business growth. Join Zweig Group for this unique networking opportunity and take your business to new heights. Secure your spot today and be part of the AEC industry's future. Visit ZweigGroup.com for more information. The Zwei Group team looks forward to welcoming you. Welcome to the Zweig Letter Podcast, putting architectural, engineering, planning, and environmental consulting advice and guidance in your ear. Zweig Group's team of experts have spent more than three decades elevating the industry by helping AEP and environmental consulting firms thrive. And these podcasts deliver invaluable management, industry, client, marketing, and HR advice directly to you, free of charge. The Zweig Letter Podcasts, elevating the design industry one episode at a time. Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and I'm excited to be with you today. I've got a great guest here, Michael Rasika, and Michael is the um, the founder of the Young Architect organization, I guess I would call it, but it's just Young Architect. If you go to youngarchitect.com, you could find it, but it simply says successful architects are grown here. And I would certainly concur with the movement that Michael has created with his organization. He is a practicing architect, but he's also stumbled upon the opportunity that he has generously gone into, which is encouraging like-minded young professionals like himself in the architectural space to be the best versions of themselves. And he has helped them do that through the ARE course and training that he does, as well as the Young Architects Conference that he does every year. He does a Young Architects Boot Camp. He does Young Architects Coaching. And he has a Young Architects Academy. <laughs> Am I missing anything, Michael? Uh, I think you got it. There may, may be something, but yeah. So, yeah I have a hard so, time remembering. I know. Uh, it's, it, but it's cool, though, because I really, and I really admire what you've been able to do because you have found within the lines, you have found an opportunity to engage your peers and colleagues in this space and help them be the best versions of themselves. But it had to start with you. So I want you to kind of tell your superhero origin story and how you got involved. How did, I mean, why, why did you become an architect in the first place? Yeah, good question. And thank you for that introduction, Randy. I'm, I'm honored to be here talking with you today. <laughs> thank you. So my story is a little different than a lot of other people's. When I was a kid growing up, I hated school. I, was, uh, I struggled with reading and writing. I'm a little bit dyslexic. And I felt like getting through 12th grade was just a battle. <laughs> I had no interest in going to college. I was very social as a kid, but I just hated, I hated my schooling. And I graduated high school as a wild teenager and I hung out and went to parties and drank beer and went to punk rock concerts for a couple of years after high school. And 
I worked in restaurants. I had no intention of ever going to college. And somehow, haphazardly, I ended up landing a position with an interior design company that did kitchens and kitchen remodels. And they said, if you could learn how to use AutoCAD, we'll give you this job doing our drawings for us. And so I taught myself how to use AutoCAD with a book. It kind of just like opened a whole world for me. And I realized that, oh my God, like, like I can do this. I, you know, I'd never really tried to think three-dimensionally before. And I just ended up tapping into a bunch of skills I never knew I, that I had. I went to architecture. I went to a community college for a couple of years around architectural drafting. And I ended up landing a kind of upgrading my job to a, working in an architect's office. And I never thought I really was going to be an architect. I always was in community college. It was kind of always like you work for the architect. It's never you are the architect. And the more I kept working and kind of studying architecture, drafting and all this, I said, I got, I got to go to architecture school. And so I ended up, I ended up going to the Boston Architecture Center for the first couple of years and it like first two years architecture school and it, and it was pretty profound experience for me. I felt like. I suddenly got my eyes opened and I discovered this whole new world. And I very quickly realized that this is something I need to do. I ended up finishing my degree at the New York Institute of Technology. And it was the, it was the best time of my life going to, going to architecture school. I got to travel all over the world. It was the first time I ever really academically succeeded in anything. And yeah, I loved it. I was, it, was, it brought me a lot of happiness. And yeah, I no regrets. And so... What ended up happening was after architecture school was over, I ended up moving across. I moved from New York out to the West Coast. And I went through this period of depression for like the first two years after school because I felt like, you know, the year it took me seven and a half years to get a five year bachelor's degree. I went to three different colleges. I got good grades the whole time, but it was just moving around and, you know, transferring between schools and all that. It just slowed the process down, but I was cool with it. But I felt like for such a long time, for years and years, I was just surrounded with this community of people and all these things. And, and suddenly it all just disappeared. And I felt like it was like I was on my own. I moved to this new city, which probably wasn't a great idea. I didn't know anyone. I had a hard time getting a job. And I was just kind of stumbling through my career. And I kind of fell into this depression. And one of the things I started going to therapy. And one of the things that we kind of, I kind of just like naturally came out through my therapy sessions was. I love architecture, but I need to like figure out how do I make it kind of work for me and what I want to accomplish. And kind of what kind of came from that was I was like, I'm going to start working towards my architecture license. And I was, I really wanted to keep going to architecture school, but my student debt was just out of control. And I was like, I'm going to treat the architect exam almost as if it's like a poor man's graduate school. And I started, I started working on my exams and moving through that whole process. When I started working on my exams, I thought it would be like this, you know, six month ordeal and it would take me maybe 200 hours to study and pass all these exams. It ended up becoming a four and a half year long ordeal. And I spent about 1800, almost 2000 hours studying to pass all my exams. I don't know. It was just a wild, a wild experience and kind of going through all those kind of all those trials and tribulations along the way is really kind of what inspired me to start building Young Architect. Wow. And so that gave you a new perspective. Did you find that a lot of the people that were going through, I'm, I'm imagining maybe you went through some study groups with other people that were, that were studying and preparing for it. Did you find that everybody was, that was just a shared experience as far as the ARE was concerned? Yes and no. What I was finding, what happened to me over the course of four and a half years was I would see people 
kind of seeing the same things that other as other people. And I would see other people show up to the architect exam with unrealistic expectations, just like I did. Like this is going to take six months, maybe it's 200 hours of work, but I can get it done. And what I ended up seeing happening was people had no idea what they were doing. They'd show up, they'd take one test, they'd crash and burn, and then they would, they would abandon it altogether and give up and say, it's, it really sucked you know, failing that exam. So I really don't need to become a licensed architect. And I saw a lot of that. And it really bothered me because I said, you know, I, I think it kind of came because of the work I did in therapy. I was very clear that this was something I was going to do and I was going to complete this process. And it didn't matter how long it took or how many, you know, I failed four times. I like, I was like, I'm going to get this thing done. And I just felt like I watched so many people who are way smarter than I am just not be persistent with it. And at the end, I persevered with uh, getting this thing done. And yeah, so I don't know. And that, and that was a big part of the inspiration for starting Architect as well is like, there's got to be a better way. There was so much bad information out there that people were, you know, that was pointing people in the wrong directions and this and that. And so I was like, I gotta, I gotta help kind of just move things forward. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, I, I, you've kind of become the Pied Piper, right? Of, of, of ARE (laughs) studies. And and that's a good thing because everybody needs a Pied Piper in their lives, somebody that can kind of lead them down the right path. And so I love that analogy when you think of it, but what have you, what has been for you kind of like the biggest aha moment and getting the young architects started up because it's not it's it's one thing that you're a practicing architect but you said you know what I'm going to start this side gig that's become kind of like a main gig for you what was the the one thing that really kind of pushed you down that path where you said you know what I'm going to do this and I'm going to meet this need because there's a pain point here that my fellow young architects are experiencing and I'm going to help them through this yeah good great question this was something I actually figured out like from the very beginning, before from day one of starting Young Architect, and it's still something that really penetrates through all of the work that we do today, is back then, right after I finished my exams, I said, uh, I'm going to start a blog at youngarchitect.com. And I'm going to help people. If I could help a couple of people find success with their exams, you know, mission accomplished. But one of the things I wrote about and I still talk about till today was I said, what I learned in my own experience with, with becoming a licensed architect is I think everyone's looking at it from the wrong perspective. And I think a lot of people are looking at it as the goal is to just pass the test, just pass this test and get this license and move on to the next chapter and everything's going to be great. And I looked at it from that way for a long time and, it, and I realized it didn't work for me because I, I started to look at like the goal is to just pass the test and do the least amount of work. And I looked at it as a chore to study for these exams. And then about halfway through, I realized, I said, I may not, I might not be done with my exams, but damn, I've gotten an amazing education trying to work on this process. And I really started to lean into that. And I started to tell myself that, you know, this information, it's not BS. Let's actually learn this stuff. And about halfway through my exams, I shifted my mindset to be about trying to pass a test to let's focus on becoming successful in our architecture careers and let's really embrace this information. And instead of worrying about what the minimum is to pass the test, like let's learn it at a, at a very deep level so you can apply it and use it in your career. And that's one of the things I started preaching from day one and I still preach it today as I said, let's stop trying to pass silly exams and let's focus on becoming great architects. And if you could just 
use this op- as an opportunity for professional development, it'll take you so much farther beyond the architect exam and, and keep serving you. And that helped me reconnect with why I was becoming an architect is once I really started to learn this stuff and apply it to my everyday. And that's one of the, that's the mission of Young Architect. That gets threaded through every single thing that we do is rather than doing this thing because it's a chore and you got to do it, like let's really embrace it and let's do this work so we can become successful in our careers. And whether it's the, the blog, the boot camp, the you know, study materials, the conference, like all of the things that we work on, it's uh, let's just focus on professional development. Yeah. And so the ARE exam kind of study program was the first thing that came in with the Young Architects. Is that correct? No, it was actually the blog. Oh, was the, so the yeah. blog, okay. And the blog led to the ARE exam? It was a couple of steps along the way. It was, I started a blog, which just took off like a rocket and it just got a mil- right away. It just got a lot of attention. Uh, from the success of the blog, I wrote a book, a little black book called How to Pass the Architect Exam. I don't really talk about it much these days, but I put out this book and it's like an easier read self-help book about the ARE. And um, people from the success of the book, people started asking me if they could hire me to be their coach or their leader or their mentor. And for the longest time, I said no, actually, because the biggest problem, and this is one of the things I talk about in the book, the biggest problem with the architect exam is it's completely opposite to everything else that you've done in, this far in your career. Because in school, you sign up for a, a program you're moving through a curriculum, which has a schedule and deadlines. And there's a group of people moving through the same process. And in the office, you're, you're working collaboratively with coworkers, clients, contractors, and consultants. I say architecture is probably the most collaborative profession there is, except sure. when you get to the architect exam. It's every man or woman for themselves, and there's no clear direction as to how to go through it. And so I said, I'd, you can't hire me because it just feeds the problem. And eventually I said, let's treat the architect exam like it's a design studio. You know, that's the problem right there is people are studying for these exams like it's a history test or, you know, an economics exam when you really need to study for these things like it's a design studio. And I ended up creating this program called the ARE Bootcamp back in 2015. It's been six years now. And uh, it's it's a 10-week coaching program. It's a design studio for the architect exam where everyone studies and we come back together and we see what we can learn from each other. And it's very, you know, collaborative. Yeah. And so we've been running that for, for six years now. And then from the success of the boot camp, I ended up doing a lot of public speaking and webinars and traveling the country. And we've created our own study materials. In 2019, we ended up starting the Young Architect Conference. We have our own architecture conference focused on the professional development of the next generation. Yeah, it's just, it just keeps growing in, in, in a variety of directions. And you have the podcast, both. So the Young Architect Conference and the podcast, I've been a privilege to be involved with. And I appreciate that because, you know, it's nice when you, you're able to bring some old heads in to uh, kind of share their understanding of the industry. And especially since I'm not an architect, but I've dealt with so many over the years that I've seen a lot and interacted with enough people to kind of understand what works and what doesn't work. But you know, I think it's important. I think you, you kind of tapped into this understanding that, A, it's important to build relationships with different people that kind of help you understand this road that we're traveling in our professional careers, and in this case, for architects. And I just see how things have kind of intertwined, and you've connected with so many different people that have been able to kind of bring their piece of the story to the table, and then you've, you've created this platform where people are able to share that. Yeah. And that's the goal. It's not about it's not about being 
you know, it's not about me. It's about using this platform and this community and these things to really just help people be more successful in their careers. Yeah. So I'm curious because you hear the same stuff. I'm sure you hear the same stuff over and over again, but what are some of the biggest challenges that young design professionals, young architects or or soon to be architects are struggling with right now? And especially keeping in mind that a lot of people that listen to this podcast, I mean, we're talking about there are a lot of seasoned individuals here, a lot of owners of large design firms. And I would be curious if you could kind of share your insight in terms of what you're seeing on a regular basis, because I'm sure you see it all. Yeah, I do. I see. I do see it all. I would say probably the biggest and most current situation problem in the profession right now, it's, it's coming back into the office after being home for a year of work from home. I felt like before the pandemic happened, everyone said, it will never work. You could never work from home. Everyone's got to be in this brick and mortar in the same space. We have to have the studio environment. And then the pandemic <laughs> happened and everyone went worked from home and the work got done and things moved along. And now everyone's, it's getting back and trying to bring people back into the office. I think there's been a lot of pushback and a lot of resistance. And I've just flat out heard people say, I don't want to drive 45 minutes to my job each way. I'm going to look for a new job. They're not willing to work with me on work from home. And I think there's, it's going to be uncomfortable for a little while, but people are quitting their jobs and taking new jobs with people with, with firms that are more flexible. That was one of my issues. I, for, in my career, when I had an office in a cubicle, I, used to, I told my boss, I said, this is the worst place for me to get work done. I can't get anything done. The phone's ringing. People see, oh, Mike's here. Mike's in the office. Let's go talk to him. And I, used to, I literally used to sit across the street in Starbucks and do my work in there. I said, if you want me, come walk across the street. So I think that's one of the biggest challenges right now. There's been a lot of, and I've contributed a lot to this, is using, you know, using the word intern. Why are we calling people with five, six, seven years experience, you know, five, six, seven years of education and many years experience interns? Like, give me a break. No other profession calls people interns like this and pays them. This is the whole system is broken when it comes to that. And yeah, I've, I, I think that's a big problem. I think another challenge is the whole licensing system's broken. I mean, that's the world I live in. You know, the whole thing, you know, 20 years ago when a lot of these firm owners got their licenses, the system was very different than it is today. And it was about, a, you know, a third of the amount of work and the pass rates were massively higher than it was. I don't know. And so I think that there's a disconnect between the older generations and the current generations as to what it means to be licensed. I think generally speaking, there's just not a lot of support for young people in the profession. And that's where I step in and support them and say, we can do this. Let's, let's focus on becoming great architects. You know, If you can make that the goal, how about you become the boss and let's change things as we move forward. I, you know, and that was the inspiration for starting Young Architect. When I started the blog, I'll be honest, I wasn't very excited about architecture at the time. But I wanted to share information and my opinions. And I was looking at all the other architecture blogs out there. And I said, these are like, there's no young people talking about this. These are, in a weird way, these are all old architects. And I said, I want to start young architect. And yeah. And when I look, you know, when I look back at like the, the future generations, I get excited. I get excited with kind of that youthful, you know, mindset and approach to, to solving things. And I said, I want to tap into that. 
I look ahead. I'm not so as I, I had a hard time connecting to the current and the previous generations of architects. So yeah, that's kind of, those are kind of the things I see happening. Yeah. And I'm curious, do you get firms that kind of reach out to you to ask you for help with some of their young people, maybe kind of reaching and helping them out? Or is it more you just get, you hear from young people that are like, man, I read your blog, Mike, thank you for throwing me that lifeline. I, I want to continue to follow you and, and you know, gain more wisdom and insight from the path that you've, you've laid out. Yeah. I don't really talk to the firms a whole lot, a little bit. I mean, you know what? The biggest community, you know, I have a lot of firms that reach out to me that say, Mike, we see you, you've created your own study materials. Can we get a disc? Can we get a company discount on your product? And I, I just say, like, no, no, because I've, I've priced it very competitively and I'm trying to reach the individuals. So I was like, if you want to help, just support your people individually. But I'm deeply connected to what's the younger people working in the profession. I mean, I run. I run the boot camp. Last night, I was in boot camp meetings for about six hours and I talked to about probably 60 people. I had a short yeah. conversation. We talked about their studying, what's happening. You know, Mike, my firm is actually the other day I had a conversation with someone. They said, they called me on the phone, one of my boot campers said, Mike, I'm really stressed out. My company had me really stressed. And then today, or the, like two days ago, one of the project managers just resigned and just walked away and said, I can't take it anymore. And then someone else said, they're resigning as well. And now the but they've put the workload of those other two people on my plate. I'm worried it's going to screw up my exams. And my response to them was, I said, listen, this isn't your problem to solve. This is management's problem. And what are you supposed to do? Work 120 hours a week to fix this for them? I said, you do the best that you can, but they got to resolve this. And yeah, I don't know. I just try to support as much as I can. Sometimes if I don't have the answers, I try to point people in their direction where they can find some some good answers. So yeah, where else do, would you say do you find that young architects are able to find some answers out there in this community outside of you just yourself? I mean, if you were just to kind of point and say, yeah, you know, these folks are doing something, or this organization, or or what have you. I mean, I, I dare say, is it AIA that helps the young people when it comes to that? I know that you've you've had you've had choice words about AIA in the past. I, I guess is the is the generous way to put it. So, but what would you say are other places that young architects can go to get some to get some feedback and understanding? Yeah, great question. One of the things I've learned through the years of doing all this young architect stuff is I've learned. That the current and the previous generation, unlike other generations, look at mentorship in a very different way. I felt like mentorship, the way I, I understood it and how it's kind of always been understood, it's finding someone kind of older who is more experienced, who can kind of help you navigate their way through your career. I'll be honest, I've had terrible mentorship in my career. Awful. And I've never really felt like I was being advocated for by just older people within the profession. And what I've actually seen is I've kind of seen that whole idea of what mentorships just got flipped upside down on its head. And what I'm seeing happening right now with younger people is rather than looking up for mentorship, I see people mentoring each other side by side, laterally. And you know, you might not be very far, you might not even be younger than me, but you know, people helping each other succeed. And so I would say when it comes to young people, I would say I wouldn't, I wouldn't always look up 
you know, someone older and wiser that doesn't, you know, like there's lots of amazing mentorship. There's, it's everywhere. It's not just in one direction. And I say some of the best mentorship I've ever had in my career has been outside the realm of architecture. And when it comes to mentors, I say hire for the position that the job that you're looking them to fill. And, you know, there's never, there's, I, I call it the magical genie mentor that doesn't exist. They're not going to fulfill all the, the areas that need the mentor. So hire for the job. But when it comes to the organizations, you know, they, they do the best that they can. But, you know, the AIA does the best that they can. But really, there's a million things going on. There's so many different levels of it. Some AIA chapters are doing an amazing job and others not the best. It is what it is. Well, yeah, and, and you bring up a good point because I remember I think we initially met in a uh, an online group on Facebook, and there were a lot of young professionals in that group that kind of reached out to me. And at first, I was like, "Well, I don't know that I can really help you because I'm not an architect." But they were just trying to get some real real world experience and understanding from me. Yeah, and I, you know, so I kind of leaned into that. And you're absolutely right. I think design professionals, soon to be design leaders in this space, those that are in this young generation, Gen Z or, or the, uh, the later millennials, there's nothing wrong with reaching out to people that are outside of the scope of the work that you do on a daily basis for insight, for encouragement, for help, a little guidance. I mean, just because they're not in your profession doesn't mean that they can't provide you with some helpful insight. And, uh, and words of wisdom and encouragement. Yeah. One of the best pieces of advice I heard, you know, that old phrase, it's like you become the five people you surround yourself sure. most time with. Sure. Uh, it's kind of like along that, but just because you're not surrounded with these types of people, that doesn't mean you don't have access to them. And it could even be like great TED talks or podcasts or great books or stuff like that still applies as well. And that's where a lot of my mentorship has come from. It's not always someone who I knew in real life. It's I've been pointed in the right direction by, you know, podcasts and book and research I've done. And I've sought it out and, and really found it and applied it to what I was working towards. Yeah. What podcast do you listen to? I mean, you do a podcast. Is there, is there anything that you, as I mean, people, people ask me that all the time. What, what do you listen to when you're not busy recording a podcast or doing something like this? Yeah. I've gone through a lot of phases with podcasts, you know, back many, many years ago, I listened to Joe Rogan pretty religiously, but lately I've, I've really backed away and, and not so much these days. Honestly, Randy, I'll just say it. I don't really listen to podcasts. Yes, I have my own and we put out a lot of episodes, but what I've actually gotten into is listening to music again. I stopped listening to music for a really long time. <laughs> and you know what it was? I think it was Spotify killed it for me. It was like suddenly I had access to everything and anything. And then suddenly I wasn't interested anymore. And recently I've reconnected with, I got, I went back to my, I went in my mom's basement and I pulled out these boxes that have been in there for like 20 years. And there was all these vinyl records. And I was like, mm. oh my God, I forgot I even had this stuff. And I bought a record player recently and I've like started like collecting vinyl. And I've been listening to a lot of, I'm listening to a lot of records lately, music. I mean, there's nothing like that initial press of the needle onto the vinyl yeah. and, and that sound that you hear. And then you start to hear it. It's like, man, there, there's, I really wish, I still wish I had some of my old albums. I, I don't, I certainly don't know where, I don't think I could go in my mom's basement and find them now, but, um, yeah. but yeah, I, I, I miss that for sure. And you know what I like about it? What I realized the other day 
is when I listen to a record, like when I listen to a something on Spotify, I just listen to all the good songs and I'm missing all of the other in-betweens. Maybe they're not the hit songs, but there's a right. lot of interstitial space. And all of these records are really, it's like its own, it's its own, like, it's like its own story. It's like, yeah. it's, and I forgot, it's like its own package. Like if you were going to watch a movie, you wouldn't just watch the best scenes. You watch the whole movie. And now I'm listening to the whole record rather than just in bits and pieces of it. And it's been a, it's been kind of, it's been fun to kind of be reintroduced to listening to music again. Yeah, no, and you're absolutely right. And uh, I do miss that. I have a friend that opened up a vinyl record store in, um, in Washington, DC. And so he can, he has, a, gets a lot of the oldies and a lot of jazz and other stuff. And I have some friends that go in there on a regular basis and they walk out every, every time they go in there, they walk out with four or five new albums that they yeah. play and, and, you know, they, they pull it out and they just, uh, I probably need to go back and get a new record player. So, so yeah, that's, that's probably on, that's on, uh, you've encouraged me now. I need, I need to go do that because you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, we don't think about it. The digitization of everything has made stuff so easy that the actual process of doing whatever you're doing, whether it's listening to music or whatever, it's almost like, you know, second nature. You don't even think about it. Whereas before you'd have to physically go mm -hmm. pull out the jacket, the vinyl record I'm thinking of, and then pull out the little sleeve that it was in, then, you know, dust it off, maybe even pull out that little, little yeah. thing and, and clean it and then throw it on. That was a process. Yep. And all, all throughout that, you're thinking about, man, I can't wait to hear this song, you know? Yeah. And uh, I mean, there's, there's something to be said for that. And we've kind of lost that in, in the digitization of everything yeah. because we have information, we have data, we have entertainment right at our fingertips now. We don't have to go far to get them. Yeah. I want to add to that too. It's the artwork as well. I was looking at a Iron Maiden cover the other day and I was laughing. I was like, this is, <laughs> this is so cool. Like, this is such a beautiful piece of art, as weird as it is. But um, I was like, when you, know, when you listen to it, you never see this artwork anymore. Mm -mm. And mm -mm. It, it all kind of gets lost with everything's just on Spotify. Oh my God. You, yeah. You said a mouthful. I think growing up as a kid, I, I would go to my grandparents' basement and listen to Shaft. And I can just remember the Isaac Hayes on the cover. And oh man, I just, you know, you, you don't see that anymore. And, and old, I'm bringing up some really old stuff, but if you like the artwork for the Parliament Funkadelic albums yeah. were so intricate and so, I mean, and the same thing with, like you said, Iron Maiden or ACDC or, you know, any one of these, I mean, the, the artwork was so special and you're right. You don't, you can't appreciate it anymore because you're looking at it on a small, you know, five inch or six inch screen and it yeah. doesn't have the same value, I think. So yeah, it's tough. It's tough. So what's next for the young architects? I mean, like I said, you, you've got, you have a, a litany of programs, all of which have kind of evolved over time. And is it, has it simply been just, well, I'm going to do this and then, oh, I see a need for this. So let me spin this up. Or what has been, you know, the litmus test for you to say, you know what, I'm going to meet this need and put this out there. Yeah. It's funny. I actually do a whole entrepreneurship presentation. It's called Entrepreneurship for Young Architects. And really kind of the message to the presentation is that I could have never sat down and written a business model for what's happening today, you know, five, six, seven years ago. Everything has kind of haphazardly, accidentally happened. Like I've always felt like one opportunity opens the door for the next opportunity. And at a certain point, like I stopped trying to look into the future because I could have back all those years, I could have never dreamed where we'd be today. And what I've learned, and every time I set goals, every year after year, I always set the same freaking goals. 
let's try not to start anything massively new, but let's get better at doing the stuff that we're already doing. And through working towards that, I see opportunities to tighten up and then, you know, create something new will pop up here and there. But I'm always trying to just get better at doing what I'm already doing and making be more efficient, you know, but I don't know. So I really don't know what the answer is. We're working right now on creating a bunch of new study materials. We've got a lot of study materials out there. I want that are really good and we're really happy with them, but I want to level them up and make them better. And, sure. and um, yeah, so we'll see. And conference is marching along just fine. We've been having a lot of success with it. We're starting to look at what is getting back together in person look like. So yeah, just kind of keep doing more of the same is really our goal. Do you think there'll be another young architect speaking tour at some point? Uh, maybe. But what I'm learning is I'm actually having a lot more success with it, putting it on online. Because I'll be honest, Randy, it was as much fun as it is to, you know, for two years, I drove around the United States in my van with my dog, speaking in all these different cities, sleeping in the van. I didn't really get paid. I barely, sometimes I didn't get paid at all. And I would drive four or five hours to the next city and it took its toll on me. And by, when I do these webinars now online, it makes it accessible to what many, many, many more people. And it's a lot easier on me. and It doesn't take a toll. So I don't know if I see a speaking tour anytime soon, as fun as they are. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I'm not against it. It is a good time. So <laughs> Yeah. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, let's, I hope you're able to get back on the road. And I hope we're able to meet in, in person. At yeah. Some I want to ride bikes with you, Randy. In the future. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you and the kids. I, I'm, I, yeah. I'm down with that for sure. Because <laughs> they, they just... Uh, they love that. My two of my my two oldest just got brand new Trek mountain bikes. And oh, nice. Shout out to Nika, and they're actually having their first mountain biking practice today, so they're really excited about that after school. It won't be till later because it's so f- abusively hot here right now that uh, it, you've got to wait till like after six p.m. to get out and go ride. It's just that hot. So yeah, but but you know you know about that. You're being in Florida, so yeah. it's all good. Well, man, Michael, this has been great. If people want to connect with you and learn a little bit more about you, where can we direct them besides youngarchitect.com? Is there any other place that you'd want to direct them to yeah. to check you out? I would say uh, everything kind of branches out from youngarchitect.com. I'm very active on social media. I use Instagram, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. A couple of years ago, I stopped using Twitter, but um, it's my Instagram name is young, Y-O-U-N-G. Architects, A R C H I T X, PDX. I used to live in Portland. So, mm-hmm. Young Architects, PDX. Yeah, just type in my last name, R I S C I C A, into uh, Facebook or LinkedIn. And um, yeah, I'll pop up. But yeah, connect on social media. And yeah, everything branches out from youngarchitect.com. Okay, perfect, perfect. We'll, we'll make sure that everybody has this information in the show notes, and, and we'll include some links to some of the Young Architects programs that we mentioned, as well as the website. I certainly want to encourage you, if you're a design firm, you could go a long way in building goodwill and trust with your young team members by encouraging them to take part in some of these programs, because if nothing else, you're going to help to develop and build a much more well-rounded design professional. And I got to say, and I've as someone that has been involved with some of Michael's programs, you know, they are top notch. So uh, I certainly would encourage you. They get the Randy Wilburn seal of approval <laughs> as far as uh, quality is concerned and as far as just being able to walk away and, and uh, be the best version of yourself. Michael has certainly 
produced that type of experience and event. So I would encourage you to definitely check them out. So, yeah. yeah so Randy, I want to say thank you as well. I really appreciate what you're doing for the, the design community. It's been a pleasure getting to know you over the past, I don't know, year and a half, two years, whatever. Yeah, I just I just really appreciate everything and our friendship and, you know, seeing you on social media doing your thing. So thank yeah. you for this opportunity today, Randy. Absolutely, Michael. Absolutely. That goes without saying. Same to you and 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 I appreciate it. And like I said, I look forward to us connecting uh face to face at some point in time soon because I know I'll have to be down in Orlando and you'll be one of the first people that I call yeah. when I come down there. So so that's it. Well, thank you very much. Well, folks, that's another episode of the Zweigletter Podcast. To learn more about one of the oldest newsletters in the design industry, visit thezweigletter.com. You can read articles online, listen to this podcast, and sign up for a free subscription to the newsletter. That's right. It's free. You can have it delivered right into your email inbox every Monday morning. Sign up today. For more info about Zweig Group's advisory services or any of Zweig Group's publications, visit zweiggroup.com. You can follow the Zweig Letter Podcast wherever you listen to it, and please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and we'll see you soon. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Zweig Letter Podcast. We hope that you can be part of elevating the industry and that you can apply our advice and information to your daily professional life. For a free digital subscription to The Zweig Letter, please visit thezweigletter.com slash subscribe to gain more wisdom and inspiration in addition to information about leadership, finance, HR, and marketing your firm. Subscribe today.